All right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. I am so happy to be here. Uh, my name is Houston Marillo, and I serve as the family discipleship pastor at Farmington First Baptist. And uh, I do actually have ties to Greenland. Um, I graduated from Greenland High School in 2001, and so um, I was uh, in that class probably, if you're, if you're from this area, then you would remember some of the people from that class possibly, Kendall Alfaro, Brandon Silkwood, Ben Haley, all the guys that were really good at sports. I was just kind of on the team, um, but I, I graduated with them, Justin Dixon back there as well, and so uh, it's, it's a blessing to be here today and uh, just worshiping with you. Um, uh, my, I, I have my family here, uh, my beautiful wife, Anna, and then my two sons, Noah and Moses. Uh, we were very strategic in choosing their names. Um, you see, my, my wife loves being a mother, but she hates being pregnant. And so after the second one, we were like, Noah and Moses, that's no mo. And so uh, no mo kids for us, but... Um, they're, they're here with me as well as my, my parents and then an uncle here as well. So uh, happy to be here. But to the, the partnership that we were speaking about, um, we are so excited about that. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a true blessing to be able to partner with you and look forward to that partnership moving forward. Um, today, we'll, we'll count this as kind of a soft launch and uh, I'm, I'm sorry that it was me that was sent to you, but, you know, we'll bear with me and we'll try and get through that. But anyway, uh, how it came to be that I was going to preach today. Um, we were at uh, a, a lunch meeting and uh, Dustin had mentioned uh, a meeting before that that was at Tacos for Life. And then this lunch meeting was actually at Torchy's Tacos. So I don't know. Uh, maybe that, there, there's a theme there. You'll see tacos in our partnership quite a bit. But anyway, uh, we were there, and I had a mouthful of, I don't remember if it was taco or cheese dip or what, but Dustin said, hey, uh, we need somebody to preach uh, on December 31st. Would you be willing to do it? And so with a mouthful of delicious taco, I said, okay. And so I, I decided, yes, I, I would do that. Um, but, uh, then it, it kind of set in December 31st, wait, that's, that's New Year's Eve. This is going to be a, a New Year's message. And there's some pressure that comes with that. I mean, this is one of the big ones, right? Like you, you've got, it's not as big as Christmas or, or Easter, uh, maybe not as big as Mother's Day, Father's Day, but, but New Year's, that's, that's kind of a, a big deal. It's special. And so I got to thinking about it. I, I better better get ready for this. And so I've been working on this for a while. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that, uh, that shows today. But anyway, a uh, little bit of pressure today, so bear with me as we go through that. Um, today, we're going to be using the book of Joshua. All right. And so uh, we're going to be looking at how it relates to three things, three different things. We're going to look at it in regards to the new year. We're also going to look at it in regards to the current culture war. And we're going to look at it in regards to the church. And so, um, let's start. We're going to start in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm, I'm going to be using the ESV. We've got some, some slides up there for you as well. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says this. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, 
Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for today. God, thank You so much for this opportunity to be here. Thank You so much for this church. Thank You for the, the people that were able to, to, to come and, and we ask uh, blessings and, and healing um, on those that weren't able to be here today. Lord God, I ask that You would speak today. God, it's not about me. I pray that, that Your Spirit would move and that Your Word would be shared. And God, I ask that You would you would stir our hearts and that You would help us to receive Your message today. God, I love You. And I praise You and I thank You. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. So, um, it is that time of year uh, when many people, if not everybody, starts to get excited about a new beginning. Right? Um, it, it's, uh, it's the new year and so... This is the time where everybody's, you know, it's that new start, that fresh start, right? And so oftentimes during this time of year, we, we have these New Year's resolutions. And so it'll be things like, this year I'm going to start exercising. This year I'm going to get in shape. This year I'm going to save more money. This year I'm going to get a new job. This year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do that. Fill in the blank. This year I'm going to, and then whatever that might be. Now, there's something exciting and almost adventurous about that, but at the same time, if we're honest, it can also be a little bit scary as well. Um, new beginnings, new goals, new, new things to conquer, all of this can come with doubt and fear. While there's the excitement, there's also the doubt or fear of if we will be able to accomplish those things. And so we start to ask ourselves, will I accomplish it? Uh, we, we ask ourselves, can, can, I, can I really do that? Uh, am I going to fail? And then we start to maybe say to ourselves, it's, it's so hard. It's so difficult. It, it's, it's unattainable. And so oftentimes because of those doubts, because of those fears, we, we lower our standards. We shrink our goals. Sometimes we even give up too early. Sometimes we give up before we even get started. Say, ah, next year. Right? But it's easy to give up when we're scared. It's an easy thing to do. If we're scared, it's easy to say, no, 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 no. I'd, I'd rather take the easy path. It's easy to give up when we feel alone or when something feels impossible. And so, many of you, you know the story of, of Moses and the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. Uh, you know, first of all, Moses had, had kind of helped the, with the exodus uh, from Egypt. And they, they left Egypt and God had a promised land for them. And they, they ventured over to that land. And when they arrived there and it was time to go in, he sent in the 12 spies. And if you remember as a child, the song 10 were bad and 2 were good. Uh, 10 of those spies came back 
and they gave a negative report. Two of them said, hey, we can do this. Let's go in and conquer this land and take it. It's what God gave to us. But those ten were able to convince Israel. They were able to convince the majority. No, 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 no. We can't do it. It's too hard. It's impossible. It's unattainable. And so because of the lack of faith, they ended up wandering around the desert for 40 years. 40 years waiting to go into the promised land. Today, we're actually going to look at the, that long wait coming to an end. So we're going to look at, they've already wandered around for 40 years, and it's time for a new era of God's perfect timing and plan. It's time for the Israelites to finally enter the land. Now, remember, they had just waited 40 years long years to go in. For a little bit of perspective on that, um, I just turned 41 a couple weeks ago. And so that is a literal lifetime for me. A literal lifetime. Some of you uh, have not yet arrived at 40 years, and so you're thinking, wow, okay, that's, I've lived this long and it's that many more years. Some of you, you might have completed 40 years, you might have doubled that. But even so, even if you're at 80, you're saying that's half of your life. That's a long time. We can agree that's a long time. Now, uh, they had wandered around with God's provision and under the leadership of one of the Bible's superstars. Right? They had, during this time, they had, they had the leadership of Moses. And, uh, and so they, they went through things that even mainstream culture are somewhat aware of at this point right now. We, they, they went through things... Um, for example, uh, the Ten Commandments. Okay, This had happened during that time. And even, even if somebody in, in Western culture maybe doesn't go to church, they, they have some idea of what the Ten Commandments are or some type of moral standard or, or those types of things. Um, the law was actually given to them during this time. And so uh, the law being from, if you go and you read the, the book of Leviticus, the law is given to them there. And... Uh, in that, you have uh, societies since then that have studied and based their laws and their systems off of that, right? Uh, if, if somebody goes to law school, a lot of times in Western society, they'll have to go and read that book and, and, and learn through that. But then there's also been uh, societies that, that look at and study the societal norms that were laid out before them in the Bible and also the behavioral interactions. All of that, whether we realize it or not, a lot of it came from this time. It came from this time. And so the point is, is that this time from a relatively small group of people in a rather obscure and small area thousands of years ago has and still does impact our society in huge ways. And so, you see, all of this had taken place, but now the fearless, great leader, Moses, who God used in, in sending the ten plagues, in parting the Red Sea, bringing water forth from the rocks, sending manna down from heaven, even meat in the form of quail, um, in leading through battles and even conquering some giants and other things, this Moses, who had been leading them, that same Moses has just passed away. And now God says, it's time to enter this new land 
that he had promised to their forefathers centuries before. Now, God had the right man for the job. He chose a protector, he chose a warrior, a servant, and a leader who learned under the tutelage for Moses for at least 40 years. Uh, They had been wandering for 40 years. Prior to that, he was already serving in kind of Moses' right-hand man. But he chose a man that listened, a man that obeyed, followed and executed the directions that were passed to him from Moses, which ultimately were coming from God. He chose Joshua. Now, can you imagine the pressure that he must have felt? I mean, he had, been, he had been at Moses' side. Moses was a superstar in, in, in the Bible. It, he had been with him and, and serving under him. And now, um, he's responsible for this whole group of people that had so far survived through thick and thin. They had survived and even increased. And now he's responsible for them. That is a heavy, heavy weight that must have been on his shoulders. The pressure, I can't imagine. It must have almost been as heavy as preaching a New Year's sermon. Almost. (laughs) Almost. Um, Not quite, but almost. But anyway, um, here's Joshua, and he's charged with leading over a million, possibly two million people into an unknown land with literal giants that the people described as so big that they felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, if you've heard of David and Goliath, then um, you, you know Goliath would have actually been an, uh, a descendant of some of the people uh, that, that we're talking about here. Now, Goliath was somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall. Huge, huge man. Um, but some of these giants would have been even larger than him. And it said there were multiple. There were, they, the, the Israelites looked like grasshoppers in their sight. There were several of them. There was a lot of them. And regardless of if there were giants or not, whether you believe there were giants or not, I absolutely believe there were. I would believe they were huge. But regardless of the giants, even counting the, the other people there, you're talking, about, you're talking about people that were seasoned warriors. Vicious. Vicious folks. Right? Not to mention many of these people groups They were not only seasoned warriors, but they had practices within their culture, within their religion, within their daily practices. They had things that included some of the most obscene, violent, and grotesque practices that you can imagine. Terrible, evil things. Talking about bloodletting, drinking of blood, orgies, witchcraft, demon worship, even human, specifically child sacrifice. This was the norm for them. This is an evil, evil people that they're they're stepping into the land. Needless to say, this would have been an intimidating task. I imagine that the people, they were scared. They had already, remember, this is the second time. This is the second go around. They had already gone and said, nah, we're, we're not going in there. And that was the cause of them wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Now, those people who rejected it at the time, they've all died off now. Some of those 
Some of those people were alive at the time, but they weren't responsible for the decision, so they're able to go in. Um, and then uh, those that were born during that wandering around, they've heard about it. They know about it. They're aware of it. They've been waiting for 40 years to go in, and they know why they didn't go in the first time. But now it's time to enter into this promised land. Now I imagine even Joshua had some fears and doubts. Now don't get me wrong, he was a brave and a strong man and a warrior, but he was human. He knew what was over that river. He knew what was waiting for them. And I think God knew that. He knew he was human. He knew Joshua was aware that Joshua was not invincible. But he was also aware that he served a mighty God. The same God that if we have chosen to follow Christ, that we serve. Now, isn't it, isn't it good to serve a God that is bigger than all of that? All of those evil and terrible things that I said. Isn't it great to serve a God that's bigger than that? Let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, this is God talking to Joshua. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Isn't that interesting? God takes the time before doing anything else. He says, all right, get up, it's time. But he takes the time to encourage Joshua and let him know, Dad's here. Let's him know, I'm with you. God encourages and reminds Joshua that he's with him. And then he goes on to say something to Joshua three times in a row. Now don't miss this. He says it to him three times in a row. We're going to hop over to Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. All right? And so he says to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you catch that? Three times. God tells Joshua the same thing. What did he tell him three times? Very good, Noah. Anybody else? What did he tell him? Three is a number of completion in the Bible. Always pay attention for things that come in three or are repeated three times. It matters. It's important. That's not just in there just because he was like forgetting that he said it. He's saying it again and again and again. Three times he's saying, he's enforcing it. 
I want this from you. God is reinforcing the fact that He will be there with Joshua through this challenging task and time. He gives instruction to have faith. And He gives instruction to be obedient. Basically, He's saying, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Joshua was a strong man. I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But the thing about it is Joshua's strength wasn't coming from himself. It was coming from God. The things in front of Joshua weren't for him to conquer. They weren't for Joshua to conquer. They were for God to conquer. And God is making that absolutely clear to Joshua before he even steps into that land. Joshua lived in a way that he made God's plan and direction his plan and direction. It wasn't for self-interest, but rather for God's interest. And so telling him, God is telling him, look, I will take care of everything if you just trust me and follow my plan. That's it. Now, I want to turn this and and ask you some questions. And I want you to think about it. Just answer it for yourself. You don't have to out loud. But are your goals and interests aligned with God? Are they aligned with God's goals and interests? Do your New Year's resolutions match up with what God wants for you this coming year? Are they about you? Or are they about what God wants for you? Maybe you're saying, well, I don't really want anything from me though. What, what, is, what does this have to do with me if I don't, I, don't, I don't make any of those silly New Year's resolutions? I gave up on that 20 years ago. I don't do that anymore. Right? Well, what does this have to do with me individually? I don't have anything individually that I'm going for. Well, individually, individually speaking, you've got to remember this. This is, there's one to two million people that are about to cross into this promised land. Now, out of that huge number, I imagine that there's some of them that had some individual goals and, and uh, resolutions and things that they were imagining that, how, of what they were going to do once they entered the promised land and life normalized and all of this. But the thing is, is that they understood corporately the severity and seriousness of what they were about to undergo. They understood what they were about to step into. They were about to enter a land and it was going to be a war zone. Ugly war too. Hand-to-hand combat in the most terrifying and intimidating situations and experiences possible. This isn't the type of war where you're shooting from a far distance. This is... Look in the person in the eyes. You can hear them. You can smell them. You're right there in that battle. And they knew they were about to go through that. They had already seen, they had already seen 
war during their exit from Egypt and wandering around. They, had, they, they were a little bit battle-tested, right? But now, they were going into a land where they were going to be absolutely surrounded by the enemy on all sides. And it is them against the world, literally. They were going to face those things that I had mentioned earlier. Not even just the, the battles, but you're talking about the cultures that were around there and the practices that they were doing. The, the, the bloodletting, the drinking of blood, the orgies, witchcraft, demon worship, human sacrifice, all that was going to be going on around them. This is a literal good versus evil scenario. Now, I don't know if you've opened your eyes to what is going around in the world lately. But these things and the spirit behind these things that I'm talking about, they're coming to fruition and they are making a comeback. I recently read a book called Return of the Gods. It's by Jonathan Kahn. I highly recommend you read the book. It's fascinating. But it gives a comparison of the practices and the spirits and the beliefs of those people in Canaan that they were doing, the things that they were doing directly tied to what is happening in Western culture now. Now we might say, that's silly. People aren't bowing down to rocks and praying to trees and doing all of that anymore. I promise you, the spirits behind the things that they were doing at that time are making a comeback. And you are seeing those things come back in our society and culture today. You look at the gods of Baal, Isis, and Moloch. The dark trinity, we'll call them. The practices and beliefs of those things tied directly to the spirits of greed, violence, homosexuality, transgenderism, and child sacrifice. The exact things that they were worshiping and the practices that they were doing tie, tie directly to all of those things. Directly. Now you might say, we don't have anybody doing seances though and calling on demons. Well, I don't know anybody doing that. We don't have child sacrifice and mutilation. Have you taken the time to pay attention to what's coming on television? and What movies are coming out? Have you looked at shows and entertainment? Have you, ever, have you gone to a concert? Are you paying attention to the concerts that your kids are going to? And some of the, the, the dances and the things that they're doing during the songs? There are ritualistic things that are happening in shows and in concerts and in music and in all of that that are literally seances, demon worship, the symbolism that goes behind it, you watch a, you, if you watch a, a, a music awards show just a couple of years ago, you saw absolute Satan worship. You see some of the music videos and it's absolute, they're not even trying to hide it. It's not even it, like they have something representative of Satan and then worshiping. And this is normalized in culture. Have you seen the number of abortions since it came to be legal in 1973? It's over 64 million babies. And that's a stat from the middle of last year, 2022. 
Have you paid attention to the way youth is encouraged down certain paths that lead towards lifestyles that go absolutely counter to God? I'm not talking about just not knowing about God, but the celebration of going against God and what He wants. Openly mocking and hating God. Whether it be live how you want, or find success at all costs, or uh, themes of sexuality, violence, mutilation in the name of gender, etc. Whether we want to believe or see it or not, our culture is at war. And we're facing the same spirits that the Israelites were facing when they went into that land. Let me be clear. I am by no means saying to go and physically harm or fight or go against any of these people that believe or even practice these things. That's not what I'm saying. We should be praying for those people and we should be praying against those spirits. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Those gods, those demons, those things, that's where our battle is. That's where our battle is. Now again, you may be asking me, okay, Houston, but what's your point? (laughs) What do I do here? My point is that there is a spiritual war going on And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if we call ourselves believers of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, who we're talking about right now, who emphasized to Joshua, be strong and courageous. If we call ourselves followers of that God, then we have a part in this. The church is the body of Christ. The church has been tasked with taking the message to the world and taking care of the body of Christ. To my understanding, the last thing that Jesus told His followers was exactly this. He said to strengthen, He said to tell others and then strengthen and take care of the body of Christ. And so, Let's look in Matthew. This is the last thing that he says to them. This is right before he ascends into heaven. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our part in it. This is what we're tasked with if we say that we're followers of Christ. What does that mean for us? I think for me it means, and I want you to fill in your name when I say my name, Houston. Say your name. There you go. Houston. We'll get it. Be a follower of Christ. Houston. Share Christ with others. Houston. Live in a way that exemplifies Christ. Houston, care for and bless those who receive Christ. Houston, 
Pray for those who have not yet received Christ. Fill in your name there and do those things. That's what you're tasked with. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not going to lie. This isn't an easy thing to do. And if I were to ask you today, are you in this war? Are you in this war? What would your answer be? Are your resolutions and goals pointing people to Christ? Are you fulfilling your mission as a soldier for Christ? Have you made the decision yourself to truly follow Christ, to give your life to Him, and make Him Lord of your life? Are you strong and courageous the way God wants you to be strong and courageous? Joshua is one of the most epic books in the Bible. And it, it's fantastical, it's amazing, and it puts other epic stories that are mainstream movies and books and things like that, puts them to shame. The thing about it, though, is that every single word in it is true. It's not fantasy. It's history. I highly encourage you to read it. But I'll give you a teaser. God is with Joshua. God blesses him. And the Israelites find success under his leadership. Why? Because he was strong and courageous and he trusted God. At the end of his life, Joshua, he gathers the people to give one of, if not the most amazing farewell speeches of all time. If you've ever walked into a home that has Bible verses and Scripture up, then you've probably seen this verse that comes from a passage here. Joshua gathers the people to say goodbye and to leave them with instruction and wisdom. When he does that, he gives them a recap of all of the things that God has done for them. And then he reminds them and he encourages them and he uplifts the Israelites and then towards the end of his speech, he says this in Joshua chapter 24. This says verse 15. I'm going to do both 14 and 15. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then here's 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that about yourself and your household? Can you say that about yourself heading into this next year? What does that look like for you and for those that you're responsible for? How does that look as an individual? And how does that look corporately from a church perspective? Let's make 2024 a year that we give to God. If you are already a follower of Christ, if you've already made that decision, then I encourage you to come to the altar, to pray, to dedicate this year to God. Not just this year, but the rest of your life. 
dedicated to Him. Being strong and courageous and serving the Lord. If there is anybody that does not know where they stand, if there is anybody that does not know if they are on God's side in this spiritual battle, if there is anybody that isn't sure if they have given their life to Christ, then please do not hesitate to make that decision. The truth is is that we're all in this war one way or another. It's just which side are we on and to what degree. If you're not sure where you stand, the chances are you stand on the wrong side. And so, please do not hesitate to talk to myself, to Pastor Dustin, or to somebody about what it means to give your life to Christ. What it means to be strong and courageous for Christ. What it means for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.